Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, bringing you the latest market news, company headlines, and expert interviews to help you invest for a better return. I'm Marcus De Silva. This is episode six of season six. It's a particularly exciting week as we have a podcast special. It's with our sponsors, Alliance Trust, and we're going to be delving into the strategy of becoming an ISA millionaire. It's ne- the, the sort of ISA season is nearly over as we approach the last day, which is April 5th. And what we're going to be doing in this interview, we've got a couple of guests, and we're going to be getting from one guest a top-down view of how ISA portfolios, regular ISA portfolios, contrast against ISA millionaire portfolios. And that's Maren Jobson from Interactive Investy. He's going to be giving us a, a little bit of an insight into what he sees at the platform. And then on top of that, we have quite a distinguished guest, Lord Lee Barony of Trafford. He is a ex-Conservative MP, currently sits in the House of Lords, and he is the UK's first ISA millionaire. Sorry, it was the UK's first ISA millionaire. Uh, There are quite a few now. And he is going to be giving us some real insight from an actual ISA millionaire's point of view of how he went about investing in order to achieve such a delicious milestone of £1 million. Elsewhere, in our markets report, we're going to see what crisis has been simmering and upsetting investors across the bourses. And then we've got five headlines in our company's report as well, including how retailing top dog John Lewis is getting on in its latest results. Of course, as always, please subscribe to the pod and share it as widely as you possibly can. Okay, let's start with markets. And I think the big news is the fact that over the past fortnight, we heard about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, the rescue of Swiss giant Credit Suisse, and the broader threat, really, of a banking crisis that could be emerging, which is really sending shivers down the spines of many who remember the global financial crisis only all too well and are worrying about a credit crunch potentially, and what impact that might have on the economy. So it began a few weeks back when we heard that a small US tech-focused lender, Silicon Valley Bank, collapsed after it couldn't convince shareholders to stump up some cash to help it out with some liquidity, given that its bond portfolio had been precipitously dropping in value because of rising interest rates over the past year. It is seen as a bit of a lifeblood lender to the tech industry, often, you know, helping out startups, aiding startups in ways that other banks just, you know, they wouldn't do and they wouldn't they wouldn't go near these kind of operations. So we saw some activity in the UK. HSBC rescued the UK arm of its operation and central bankers jumped up, realized that they needed to provide some confidence to the system and avoid a contagion of panic rippling through the banking sector, given that other banks were experiencing their bond holdings falling in value and offered them lots of cash in order to assist them with some liquidity and remind lots of people that, you know, 
deposits are backed by governments often with guarantee schemes then the news emerged that credit swiss a big giant over in switzerland was reaching for a 54 billion dollar lifeline from switzerland central bank the swiss national bank so phew, bit of a relief there you know it, it, it's been it's been bailed out but then it sort of emerged that that wasn't really enough in order to so solve its woes so it needed to be taken over and other big swiss bank ubs stepped in and snapped it up across global markets we've been seeing them whipsaw particularly the shares of banks investors are nervous that we're going to see bank runs on the smaller banks as depositors you know withdraw all their cash and they don't have the, the the capital to buffer that and with the larger banks that we're going to see them become really risk averse and tighten up lending which would put a big break on the economy and send it into a much deeper recession a bigger slowdown than than many would like for the moment it seems like contagion and a severe crisis have been contained you know and a big part of that is because of cash buffers that regulators forced many of them to build up because of the financial crisis so that seems to be doing its job for the moment and and and, and giving a bit of confidence to market participants but they are jittery markets i think because of this so we're not quite out of the woods but for the moment it seems like things are not too bad next big theme that's been driving markets that has been for some time that will do for some time is pesky inflation and the direction of travel with interest rates that are used to control it so you know one of the big you know flowing on from what i was saying about the banking crisis one of the big things that central banks think about is financial stability and worries about financial stability have grown as the potential for this banking crisis has emerged and it's leaving central bankers sort of caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place because on the one hand they need to keep up the fight against inflation and they need to keep interest rates elevated in order to try and push that down but on the other hand high rates are really affecting the value of bond portfolios that big bank institutions uh, hold and you know by increasing them you're only going to exacerbate the potential of that problem becoming worse and you know developing into a full-blown crisis on inflation where are we well in the US it's falling but it remains sticky so the 12-month figure for the consumer price index that's a, just a measure of inflation uh, is at six percent so it's still three times the bank's target of two percent so it's nice that it's falling but it's still very high in the uk it unfortunately has risen in february it's gone up to 10.4 percent that's been you know a, it's a concentration of, in, of price rise in certain areas particularly salads in this case uh so that's not great it means you know investors in the market are split really over the direction of travel over where interest rates may go next and of course this has a big impact on risk-taking really in stock markets and where investors want to put their money for now it seems central bankers are sticking to their guns they're clearly worried about inflation becoming entrenched that's the, that's the big fear which means it just sort of feeds on itself and uh so what did we hear we heard the federal reserve opting for a 0.25% rise in their latest meeting. We heard the European Central Bank going for a 0.5% rise. 
And today, day of recording on Thursday 23rd, we heard that the Bank of England are going for a 0.25% rise. The base rate here in the UK is now 4.25%. And I think final story to mention is oil. So, you know, it's an asset that feeds quite broadly different macroeconomic factors into its price. It's very reflective of really what's going on globally. And at the moment, we're seeing that the price of oil is has dropped quite significantly. It's now down at around $70 a barrel. And this is reflecting concerns that, you know, if we were to go into a, a banking crisis, it would lock up lending. As I sort of mentioned, this would affect people, it would affect businesses and cause a bigger economic slowdown than many would have expected. So therefore, there'd be less demand for energy products like oil. So it, it sort of seems to make since in a similar vein the price of safe haven asset gold has been rising in recent weeks as investors seek some some safety all told the s&p 500 is up 1.96% to 3994 points the stock 600 is down 2.99% to 446 points the FTSE 100 is down 4.81% to 7499 points and the Shanghai Composite is up 0.3% to 3,287 points. Just before we get onto the company's headlines, uh, I thought I'd give you a bit of an update of what is going on across the Steps channels. Our latest blog looked at the impact of higher costs on your returns over the long periods of time. It can, can be fairly significant. So we spoke to Laura Souter of AJ Bell, the platform, to get her view on that and some data and also her five top tips on ways to reduce charges and therefore drag in your portfolio. We've also been doing a bit of an icy campaign with uh, our sponsors Alliance Trust so we've got some new videos up on the YouTube channel. Go there, check it out. One of them is a video where we pit cash ices against stocks and shares ices so we we take a look at which of those is best for your cash for that twenty thousand pounds a year ISA allowance that that all of us have that we'll be getting a fresh one come april 6th so there's a video on that and we've also got our ISA millionaire youtube short series where we basically just you know little short videos very easy to digest and we're exploring some of the top traits that make ISA millionaires, you know, good at being ISA millionaires. Uh, final one to mention in that campaign, of course, is our interview that's coming up in just a little bit with Lord Lee. So lots of content. Please go to the YouTube channel. Uh, there's plenty of stuff up there and I think you'll like it. So as I mentioned in the markets report, UBS had to step in and rescue its rival Credit Suisse did it for 2.3 sorry 3.23 billion dollars which actually is less than half of the value of the bank shares when I was looking at this last Friday so you think oh good you know nice nice little deal it made there but it's you know part of the reason for that is because it's seen as quite a risky thing for for UBS to do even though they're going to inherit some lovely compliments to their own business it's risky because they're also going to inherit failing bits as well. And, you know, one of them is the investment banking division, um, for example, which just seems to have gone on this cycle of never-ending crises, really. So interesting there. 
Fever Tree, it released some results and had a bit of a mixed cocktail there. Its revenues were definitely thankful for US and European markets, but seems to have hit a bit of a ceiling in the UK in terms of growth. It seems there's only so many people that would want to buy premium tonics for their gin and tonics um we also so what else we, we we saw that profits dropped as well because of high costs which was unfortunately removing a bit of the bump from the high revenues that it received from other markets big reason for that which i found quite interesting is that a lot of energy is required for making glass and 80 percent of its products are bottled in glass so i thought that was quite interesting if you quite like a house builder, then Vistry, the house builder, released its results and revenues and profits were on the up. It was doing pretty well with private sales. It's quite challenging, the outlook for the housing market, particularly in private sales, but Vistry seems to be sort of managing those risks pretty well. It's confident it can continue to grow its margins, particularly with the success it's been having with its partnerships with local authorities and housing associations. Apple is considering a bid for getting English football basically onto Apple Plus. It wants to bolster its sports offering and it comes after signing a two and a half billion dollar 10-year deal for Major League Soccer. So it's clearly quite keen on football. And finally, John Lewis seems to be feeling the squeeze a bit as consumers cut back on their spending at particularly its Waitrose stores and costs, rising costs really et into its profits. So it posted a loss of £78 million with revenues falling 2% and that's forced it to scrap its bonuses for everyone, which is only the second time it's done that since 1953. Okay, let's get on to our interview with Lord John Lee and Myron Jobson. Hello all and welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast in partnership with Alliance Trust, where today we're going to focus on a very special financial milestone, becoming an ISA millionaire. Believe it or not, it is possible if we are diligent and disciplined, and I have the perfect guests on today to help us understand how we go about achieving this. From the UK's second largest DIY investing platform, we have back on the pod, Myron Jobson, Senior Personal Finance Analyst, as well as Lord John Lee, Baron Lee of Trafford, former Conservative MP, Financial Times columnist, but more importantly, an ISA investor who has surpassed that one million pound milestone. Myron and Lord Lee, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Myron, shall we start with you? Shall we paint a little bit of a picture from what you can see at Interactive Investor? How realistic is it becoming an ISA millionaire? You know, thankfully, it's becoming increasingly realistic, well, especially for um, our investors at Interactive Investor. We all want to become, you know, an ISA millionaire, have that seven-figure ISA um, pot. And on Interactive Investor, 850 two customers have reached that milestone which is great and when you look at regions there are three regions with the highest proportion of ISA millionaires um, and they are in they live in the southeast England um, London and Scotland 
Um, but I, you know, I've been having a good look at and our data and just having a, look at, a good look at the ice moving data. I'm not sure if there is a secret source. I'm sure um, your esteemed guest, um, Lord Lee, will offer you know his uh, his views and he'll probably give you some of his secret source. But you know, there are a few noticeable trends. But I think the main takeaway is that patience is key. Looking from our at our data, there is no get rich type scheme that are powering. Um, our ISA millionaire portfolio portfolios. Um, I think that the, the main takeaway is the key to give your investment time to grow. Diversification remains the name of the game when it comes to investing, and crucially, crucially, utilizing the ISA allowance when you can. Yes. Okay. Well, I was going to get on to that actually. So we're allowed to put up to twenty thousand pounds a year into an ISA. Do we need to be contributing? that full amount if we're going to have any hope of reaching the one million pound mark uh, i think mark the harsh reality is that many of us might not be able to do so but if you can most certainly it will definitely help you out so i suppose the amount it, it, the time it takes um really does depend on um, the amount you can invest as well as your investment returns so just for you markers i crunch some numbers so were you to start now and invest the full twenty thousand pounds annual iso allowance just assuming that this stays the same um and your investment saw a five percent annual growth, which is definitely not easy and definitely not guaranteed, and this excludes fees, it will take you 25 years to reach the £1 million mark. But if your investments grows even more, so say by 7%, again, this is net of fee, which is, I suppose, is a tall order, you can trim three years off that period. So achieving that £1 million mark in 22 years. But if your investment doesn't grow as much, say say if it grows by 3% annually, it will take 31 years to reach that seven figure sum. Okay, so definitely I can see where you're saying this is a, a get rich slow. Lord John Lee, does this chime with your approach? Have you always maximised your contributions? No, not always. I certainly maximised them in the early years when I was um, building up my PEPs, the precursor to ISAs when uh, they were first launched in 1987. So this is the personal equity plan? Personal equity plans, which which then um, really um, uh, the Labour government later on um, changed the name uh, to ISAs, but effectively they were, they were one and the same. Uh, but uh, I've always believed that um, uh, there are only two things you need for successful investment. One is common sense and the other is um, uh, as Myron said, is patience. And patience is the most important. And so I've essentially built my ISA over the years, brick by brick, uh, putting in, in those early years, the maximum amounts, not too much uh, more recently, uh, reinvesting the dividends in those early years, uh, and also being on the receiving end, thankfully, of takeover bids, which normally uh, result in a, in a premium on prevailing prices, obviously. Um, so in my investment life, I've probably been on the receiving end of about 60 takeovers or take privates. And of those half, about 30, were within my um, my PEP stroke, stroke, stroke ISA. So um, by, by putting the max amount in in the early years, uh, reinvesting the dividends, and then the benefits of, from time to time of takeovers, um, I was able to to build up what I believe to be 
and it hasn't been challenged, the first um, uh, million pound pot uh, in 2003, which is um, 20 years ago. And of course, you know, one was then allowed to put in a lot less than, than one is now. Uh, originally, you could just put in about £3,000 a year. And then over the years, it's gradually, uh, it's gradually uh, increased. Okay, and that was so that was beginning in 1986, was it, when they were first launched? Yeah, 87, 87 when PEPs were launched, yes. 87 through to 2003, that's how long it took you. So it took me, it took me I think, 16 years on that, uh, uh, on that basis. Uh, I think I put in a total of £126,000 over those years, uh, and uh, that translated itself with the dividends and takeovers and what have you into a million pound value in 2003. Myron, uh, now, at Interactive Investor, you are able to compare ISA millionaires to your average ISA's investors, sort of holistically when you're looking over the tops of the portfolios. You said there weren't lots of differences, but there are some, aren't there, in terms of the, the assets that they hold? Yeah, most certainly. So the first thing to mention is that it tends to be an age thing. So with an average age of 73 compared to 50, um, six of our overall investor ISA cohort, this is very much about getting rich slowly, as you alluded to earlier, Marcus, rather than making, I suppose, big calls on stupendously risky investments. Um, and most of our ISA millionaires would have likely started in PEPs, you know, as is the case with Law Lee, um, which preceded ISA. Again, another reminder that long-term wealth creation is all about discipline um, and process. Also, another interesting trend is that our ISA millionaires made more than four times the number of trades on average than were recorded across all ISA accounts. But I should point out that this may be to do, um, this may be for rebalances, rebalancing purposes. Um, in terms of like where our ISA millionaires are putting their money, investment trusts uh, continue to power um, ISA millionaire portfolios and account for the largest share of ISA portfolios. So that's around 42.5% um, compared to just 8 0.2% for funds. Just this is among our ISA millionaire cohort. Um, and over the long term, some of the unique features, such as gearing, which is essentially just borrowing, to um, to enhance return, have helped investment trusts deliver strong long-term returns overall. But it's all I should mention that gearing can also mean that they underperform in falling markets. Um, and for IA's broader ISA, IA's broader ISA base, investment trusts and funds tend to have a similar prominence in portfolios. So 24% for investment trusts and 22% for funds. Another interesting trend I thought was that ISA millionaires are holding close to 50% less in cash um, than our broader ISA base, so 5% versus 10% um, among our um, broader ISA customers, which suggests that ISA millionaires are avoiding the long-term effects of cash drag, where, say, investing could have re reaped better returns. Okay, interesting, because, yes, of course, ca cash can really pull down, as you say, drag on your returns over the long term. And you've mentioned investment trusts there have been a big overweight in the ISA millionaire portfolios. I mean, I suppose more broadly, are they taking stock market risks, risks in equities, risks in shares versus, say, bonds? Does that seem to be something that ISA millionaire investors are doing? 
Well, it's quite interesting. It's, you know, it's quite even in that regard. So when I look at the top 10 um, holdings uh, among ISA millionaires compared to our, um, you know, broader ISA customer base, they that aren't, it's not a lot of difference. Um, the only difference is um, ISA millionaires have one more investment trust than other broader ISA customer base. But more broadly, um, they both both co cohorts like to invest in equity-based um, investments, um, and the bond element comes as part of a broader package, as part of a collective investment, such as a fund or um, uh, investment trust. John, have you favoured certain assets over over that time you were reaching a, a million pounds, and I suppose up to, to today? Yes, I've certainly uh, uh, f- favoured uh, one class. I invest entirely in British equities. Um, I select individual shares, um, which have the characteristics that uh, appeal to me that I've, I, I've learned over the years um, deliver. Uh, in other words, companies that are established, that are profitable, uh, that are, in most cases, dividend-paying. Uh, in other words, I don't get involved in, in startups. I don't get involved in biotech stocks. I don't get involved in exploration stocks. I don't get involved now in, in contracting businesses. Um, not, for, not because I don't believe that you can make money in biotech stocks, for example, but it's a specialist area, uh, similarly with, with mining and exploration, and I don't have that expertise. So I, you know, I stick to companies that, uh, by and large, I can understand in terms of their activities, uh, and um, you know where I can can keep in touch as I try to with the people running those businesses. And um, over the years, uh, when I alight on a holding in a company that I particularly like, I, I tend to uh, to to add to that um rather than always um looking for for something new and you know in some cases for example like treats in flavors and fragrances which is my largest holding i probably bought it on about 30 different occasions and in you know you were you are you are a, a financial times columnist you're a financial journalist do you have any tips for our listeners in terms of researching investments and making smart investment decision making no, I, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't go along with with you know the word the word smart. Um, uh, I think it. I think first of all, I think you've got to decide whether you you enjoy investing and whether you want to devote a certain amount of time to it. Uh, not as much as people imagine, but you've got to enjoy. I think reading the investment columns and reading the investment magazines and discussing the stock market. Uh, and and you know showing a fair degree of uh, of interest, perhaps going to the occasional annual general meeting or making contact with a with, with a particular company. Um, if you don't enjoy that, uh, then then fine. Then let others do it for you. So then invest in investment trusts uh, or or funds where where other people are taking the decisions. It so happens that I, I enjoy. Uh, being involved with the individual companies and getting to know the management there. And I find that much more interesting. And therefore, um, you know, for me, it's the way I've, um, uh, I've approached it. Um, and it's been very much a, you know, a central part of my life over the, over the, uh, uh, over the years. Myron, I just want to go back to you in terms of the sort of investing behaviours that you see in terms of in, in the platform. Are there any are there any ways in which ISA millionaire investors seem to behave? 
Yeah, so it seems like ISA millionaires, I suppose they are almost likely to be tax year early birds, as what we call in the industry, as they're able to join the last minute, um, well, the early, well, they they can invest earlier in the tax year than say some other people. So some 45% of total 12 month subscriptions um, from II ISA millionaires were added between the 6th and 30th of April, um, which was quite interesting. Um, we also look across all of our um, IA customers and around 27% of the total 12 month subscriptions were deposited between um, the 6th and 30th of April. So that's significantly less. That's what almost 20% less um, than our ISA millionaire cohort. But you know, on this, I suppose it's worth mentioning that those long-term early investors will have that additional year in the market, which will just help also help power portfolios in a rising market. The early bird gets when we've all heard the saying, especially in the financial media, um, and it seems to be the case when it comes to ICE investments. Um, that's because um, more of your assets are working for you longer. Um, of course, there's going to be the inevitable market time risk. Uh, and that's why, as I said earlier, long-term view is really, really crucial. Um, but I suppose it seems to be working for our ISA millionaire cohort. Yeah, there's a saying, isn't there, where it's time in the market, not timing the market there. And of course, as soon as you get your new allowance, April 6th, and you're allowed your new £20,000, you can put all of that that in if you if you choose to. And that could give you an extension of of almost a year over those who wait until the last minute to to use their contribution. John, I'm just just wondering how how generally have you approached the ups and downs of markets uh, in your time investing? Because there there would have been a few times when we saw some serious crashes, such as the the dot com crash, global financial crisis, etc. How did how did you approach that? Well, I think you have to decide decide when those black swan events um, happen. And I've probably had four or five over the over the sixty odd years that I've been investing. Uh, and you have to decide, you know, whether the, the you know the end of the world uh, has arrived, whether it's Armageddon. Uh, and if you believe it's Armageddon, then I'm not sure what you do apart from possibly climb a mountain and pray, or hide under a bed with a crate of whiskey and a bar of gold, and just sort of hope. Um, but on, if you work on the basis that somehow we'll muddle through and we will all survive. Uh, and broad brush, the world will recover and um, uh, growing population uh, will become more prosperous. Uh, then uh, you you uh, you seize those opportunities when there is the uh, black swan event and the market falls uh, to actually um, to buy. Uh, and uh, they do present excellent buying opportunities. And so, for example, at the present time, uh, because of the uncertainty in the financial market with, um, you know, one or two wobbles with individual banks. Um, clearly, the financials have, um, uh, you know, have, have dipped down. Uh, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty good buying opportunities uh, now. And certainly looking back, I've done very well indeed when one could pick up some excellent companies on, on, on double figure yields. Uh, and uh, then when recovery has taken place, it can, it can really um, it can really move it, move quite fast. Uh, but you have to take the long view, uh, as Myra said, and um, and be patient. And you know we all make mistakes. The key, of course, in investment is to avoid the losses, and we all make them. 
but at the end of the day, it, it's the losses that drag a portfolio down. So uh, the more you can avoid avoid the losses and the the bad ones, uh, the the then the obviously your overall performance will be that much better. Any big lessons from those mistakes? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I I I, I made a big mistake. Uh, what would it be at the start of COVID when when Aviva, uh, which I held and held in quite a big way um, because of its attractive dividend yield, um, decided not to pay a dividend and the shares slumped. And obviously there was wider uncertainty over COVID generally and how it would all pan out. Uh, and uh, those shares slumped and I sold them, um, you know, towards the, the bottom uh and uh, took a nasty loss um but then i reinvested in aviva because you know the fundamentals were were, were, were there uh and the shares have recovered strongly and under new management under amanda blank uh and um you know overall i'm i'm on the right side with it um but um you know we all make mistakes you, you know one one should um one should learn from them but it, you know it's 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 it, it's it's not easy, um, and it's taken me obviously a long, long time to to gradually hone. And um, you know, these days, uh, I have to say, it's increasingly rare for me to get something totally wrong. Um, obviously, a price can get, the share can go down from what one buys it at. But um, you know, if thankfully in recent years, I've not had any total disasters. Put it that way. Okay, we're going to go to our final section now. And that's just some key tips, basically, from both of you that we want on becoming an ISA millionaire. So, Myron, I'm going to start with you. Top tips from you. Well, uh, it's, it'll be easy for me just to defer to Law Lee, wouldn't it? <laughs> but um, this is what I said earlier, is patience. Patience is key. It's not necessarily going to happen overnight. It's not necessarily a quick, you know, get rich quick um, investment that we can all put our money in and then become ISME in there overnight. It's important to be patient. It's important. Diversification remains the name of the game. Make sure that you're powerful portfolio is diversified across different assets and different regions so you're not exposed to you know uh, you know regional risk you know geopolitical um issues that you know are hitting the, the, um, the world now but it's just basically just it helps mitigate risk um investment risk for your portfolio and also it's just important to utilize your ice amount if you can you know i say this amid this cost of living crisis where household budgets are being squeezed by rampant inflation so not everyone will be in the position to invest a full twenty thousand pounds isa allowance so just you know when you can do so you know it really is worth it i know um you know past results is not a guarantee indicator of future results but you know investors can take solace in the fact that over the long period um investments do reap good rewards that um outstrip the rate of inflation and, and cash so if we can it's certainly worth doing okay and lord lee well yes i very much agree with um uh with that you know the stock market is not a it's not a casino uh, it's not for speculation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's for investing. And what, what one tries to do is um, uh, is to buy shares in, in a company that, that you know is solid, is paying dividends, is profitable. Uh, you've got a very small portion of it. Uh, and you hope that over the years it will grow. And um, real money is made on the stock market um, by getting into a particular company and staying with it. 
Um, the big mistake that um, uh, people sadly make is, is to, to chop and change, uh, which is expensive. And, and so unless you're, 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 you want to change uh, into something that is demonstrably more attractive, then, then you know, stay with the businesses that you've got and um, you know, collect the dividends. And also, from time to time, takeovers will come along and, and remain pretty fully invested. Um, yes, uh, not everyone can afford to put the maximum amount in each year. That doesn't matter. And, and some years, you're maybe not able to put anything in at all. But overall, you're trying to build up a, an ISA uh, brick by brick. Uh, and um, you know, that's the way uh, you know, I've done it. Uh, and um, you know, I think it's the way that it will work for, uh, for most people. Okay, well, on that note, I'm just going to get a li little plug for John here. He has a book, How to Make a Million Slowly, as well as Yumi Yogurt, which is for the novice investor. They're both available on Amazon. But apart from that, a very big thank you to our guests, Myron Jobson and Lord John Lee, and to our sponsors, Alliance Trust. If you would like to learn more about them, then please go to their website, alliancetrust.co.uk. Or if you've any questions for me, please email marcus at stepstoinvesting.com. Well, I thought that was a really interesting interview there with Lord Lee and Myron Jobson. A big thank you to them once again. Uh, and of course, also to our sponsors, Alliance Trust. I think, you know, it, it, it's one of those milestones that you can assume is, is, you know, unreachable really. But I think what they've made clear is actually it is possible. Uh, if you can try and put it as much away as possible and if you consistently do it and you're patient with your strategy then you know over time you can you can really build quite a quite a nice nest egg so i thought that was that was a really interesting one next week we've got laura Suter from aj bell on the podcast and we're going to be having a look at how you build a bit of a nest egg for your children there are some reasons why you wouldn't just open a bank account and stuff some money into it there are some tax implications that you need to be careful of so we're going to have a look at that we're going to have a look at the types of investments that are appropriate for children and we're also going to be looking at the government's uh, accounts that, that are there for children basically so the junior isa and the junior sip so until next time goodbye